We have a guest speaker today that I'm excited to introduce to you. Uh, his name is Ethan DeWitt. Ethan is a second year student at Boyce Bible College, which is the undergraduate college of Southern Seminary where I attended. I'm excited for Ethan to come and share the word with us today. Um, Ethan is going to be serving as a summer missionary at our local campgrounds here in Breckenridge County, uh, doing campground ministry, and we'll be partnering with him some this summer in that, so he'll be sharing with you some more about that. Um, but you probably know Ethan best by the person who sits next to him each Sunday. Uh, he is attached to uh, Miss Madeline Willoughby, and so we are excited for Ethan to come and share God's word with us this morning. Before he does that, though, I want to read passage of scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 4. I hope these will be encouraging words for you, Ethan, as you share God's word with us this morning and a reminder to us of what we're about to do as we get into God's word together. The Apostle Paul writes to his young protege, a guy named Timothy, and he says this to Timothy, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Ethan, if you'll come, brother, I want to pray for you. And Ethan's going to be sharing with us from Psalm 51 this morning, if you want to prepare for that. Father, I thank you for this brother. I thank you for his life. I thank you for the calling that you've placed upon his life to serve you in ministry. I thank you for the preparation that he's experiencing in these days through Boyce Bible College and the faithful men and women that have given their lives to helping others to prepare for ministry. And God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your servant. Lord, your word is truth. Without any mixture of error, it is useful for teaching us, for correcting us, for rebuking us, for training us in righteousness, that we might be fully equipped for every good work. So equip us this morning, Lord. Engage us with your truth. And may we be not just hearers of your word this morning, but may we become doers of it by your grace, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody hear me all right? Cool. I will say it's probably the softest t-shirt I've ever felt, so if you want to pay for it, go pay for it. It's totally worth it. Like you said, my name is Ethan DeWitt, and uh, you all have probably seen me around here quite a bit. So if you haven't, I will let you know that I am six foot eight, so we'll get that out of the way, front and center. We'll be good to go after that. So get that off the front of your heads. Don't look to the person next to you and say, what do you say again? You can come ask me later. How about that? We'll take a couple pictures if you want to, too. <laughs> so, uh, this, like you said, my name is Ethan DeWitt, and I go to Boyce College. So, it's the undergraduate program at Southern Seminary. Uh, I'm getting ready to finish my second year in a couple weeks. So, right, and I'm right at, the, right at the crunch time of the semester. So, trying to get some things done. Well, luckily, this week was spring break. 
So I wish it just would have ended already. But I wish school would just went ahead and ended. But that can't happen like that just yet. So, but like, like Andrew also said, I'm going to be serving at Axtell Campground and North Fork this summer. Um, so I'm sure everybody here is familiar with that. And what I'm going to be doing is I'm, I'm going to be just reaching out to people there, just getting to build relationships with people that come in as campers. And uh, we're going to do some cool things. Like we're going to watch a couple movies every now and then. Probably watch Frozen if you're into Frozen. Um, I'm a big fan of Finding Nemo, so that'll probably happen too. So um, we're also going to do snow cones. If anybody, if, if anybody here likes snow cones, I mean that's the only reason I go to Sonic at happy hour. So, so that's that's going to be fun for that too. So, but what we what I want to focus on this summer, and what I'm going to try to focus on through this psalm, is uh, to show people the mercy that God has for us, and with that mercy, what it what it entails, how you how you how you equip how you how you gain this mercy and how you can equip it to benefit your life. But also for the people that are going to be there, are going to come serve with us, I mean in that sense. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm try to build your hearts as well. I'm not, I'm not, we're not, this is the main focus of this is going to be to build relationships and, and to spread the gospel with the people of the campers. But I really, want, I really want this to be a focus on an emphasis on what the summer means for the people that are there, as the church members I mean, and just to grow them individually as well, and to grow them closer as a body, as also what David writes in the psalm in the end of it. So it's going to be fun. I hope to see a lot of you all there. I'll probably need a lot of help. And uh, so we're gonna, I'll be cleaning a lot of fire pits. So if you like to clean fire pits, I might, I might just volunteer you. So, so uh, let me pray for us this morning, but then I'll read Psalms 51, if you want to go ahead and turn there, and then uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, do, we'll dive down into it. Father God, I thank you for this day, God. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your abundant grace, God. I thank you for calling me to serve you, God. I thank you for who you are. Once again, God, and I pray right now that this message will be words spoken from you through me, and that you will bless not only the reading of the scripture, but the teaching of it as well, to the best of my ability that I can teach it. And I just thank you for who you are. Once again, we thank you for your grace and for your son. Thank you for this beautiful day, and uh, continue to pray. Amen. All right. So like I said, Psalms 51, we're going to be reading the whole passage, so you get to listen to me for 19 verses. It'll be fun. All right. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned. And done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins, and blot out all of my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me, and give me a willing spirit. Give me a willing spirit, then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. 
Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. And your good pleasure cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Alright. So basically what's Psalm 51 here in, in, in these 19 verses? It is a psalm written by David. And if you, you can probably tell right above, right above before it starts, it tells you what it's about. And I'm just going to tell you what it is real quick. Basically, it's, it's, it's David writing a psalm, or writing, writing a song, to, um, to confess his sins that he committed with Bathsheba. And if you don't know what that story means, what, that's, what that story is, is uh, David, David was in his palace one night, went up to the roof, looked out, and he saw, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. And when he saw this woman bathing, he called his servants to go get, go get Bathsheba and bring, him, and bring her to him. And as he did this, uh, they ended up, and they, they slept together. She became pregnant. So basically, you have, you have your first two sins here that David is trying to show to us. First, he commits the sin of lust. Then he commits the sin of adultery. Because as Bathsheba was married to a guy named Uriah, who was actually in battle for David at the time in his armies. And when that, when that happens, he brings, he brings Uriah back in and tells him to make it look like it is his, to make it look like it will be his child. But um, ends up that he does not want to go in the house because he does not want to be, he thinks it's, not cool to believe the soldiers, man. You know, he just, you pulled me out and all my, all my men are out there still fighting. So what David ends up doing is he puts him on the front lines and, uh, and, he, and Uriah dies. So basically what, what this story is telling us and what David's writing to us in this psalm is repenting of three sins, I feel like. First, the sin of lust, the sin of adultery, and the sin of murder. As he, as he committed murder for Uriah, as he, as he told them to put him on the front lines to die. So... The psalm right here has a deep meaning. It has a, a lot of stuff to dig through. And I, I've broken it into five parts. So, and we're going to walk through those. And, and they, should be, they should pop up on the screen behind me when we get there. And then I think it just popped up. It is, the first one's going to be mercy. And it's going to be verses 1 to 2. And what we're in, so I read it out of the, the HCSB, the Home and Christian Standard Bible. And uh, I think this one is an ESV, or what, 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 what was translated up there. But what, when you can read it in the ESV, which I studied from out of it, it says the word mercy two times. And, and especially in, a, in a two, two short sentences, when it talks about mercy, it's, not only, it's, it's, an, it's an emphasis. It's a point of emphasis for us to look at and to realize, like, well, what, what does mercy mean? What is, I, I have an idea, but what does it mean in this context? And what mercy means here is that David is trying to show us, like, like, God, you've given me something that I don't deserve. Thank you for giving me this mercy. But I've, I've broken that promise. I've broken the promise of mercy. Actually, I'm going to close my Bible. Let me open that up real quick. There we go. Yeah, and he's saying, he's saying be, gra- be gracious to me, God. Be merciful to me. Don't, don't, don't hurt me. Don't, don't do anything to me. Just, just care. Be gracious to me. And that's what the sense of mercy is. But he also shows us where our mercy comes from. Our mercy comes from steadfast love. And when we look at steadfast love, he's saying, God, like, you, you, ha- you give me mercy, but I know where it comes from, too. Like, because you love me so much, you have unending love. Your, your, love, is over, your love is more than I can ever love anybody. And what that, what, he's saying that that mercy is what I get from that. 
saying, God, thank you for that. But then he also goes on to, to, to talk about his sins. He's like, I'm, I've sinned. My transgressions is what it says. My transgressions have, have been against you. They have hurt you. They've, they've caused me to sin against you. They've caused your heart to break. And when he says that, he, he, he recognizes mercy also. So the key, the key to these first two verses, not only the word mercy, but it's how we approach mercy. When we, when we think of the word, when now, from now on, when you think of the word mercy, we need to think of the word mercy as a, as a key to our relationship with Christ. But we also need to view mercy as a, as, as a blessing. So when he does that, he ends up going on to verses 3 and 5, where he talks about repentance. And I know we're moving kind of quick right here, but I promise we're going we're gonna to sit still for a little bit here in a few minutes. But when he talks about repentance, repentance is just a fancy word to say, I owned up. I'm owning up to my sin. I did this. I sinned against you, God. I don't want to do it anymore. Just a fancy word for that. And what repentance normally, normally what it tends to happen in is like when people commit a sin, but they don't really want to speak of it. So it, it sits there in silence and wait. So repentance can't be a time where you can share it with people, but it can be a time where, but it's mostly a time where you share between you and God saying, God, I'm sorry. My, I've sinned against you. And God, I want you to help me, guide me through not sinning through this way again. But as he says it, he says in verse 3 that we need to recognize we have to own up to our sin. So like I said, just a fancy, it's a fancy way to say owning up. Just, just getting the courage and, having, and just re- realizing that we all sin. Uh, I, I sin daily. And Andrew does, Kent does, we all, everybody, all pastors do. It's not, everybody at Bible college does. It's not, it's not like some holy ground that I'm stepping on. But, as, but that's the key is that we need to learn to gain this mercy we need to learn how to how to how to, how to get there. And in this time, David was a, was a pure. He's he's a follower of God. He he has faith, and his faith is in God. He's a faithful leader for God. But as you see, he's fallen, fallen fallen away to a point to where people nowadays would say that the three sins that he did were probably three of the worst sins that he could have done. So when he think and, and in this time, he recognizes that he recognizes that oh man, I just. I just killed a man. I just killed a woman's husband. And the reason I brought him back was to make it look like that the child that she is carrying is mine is his. So David recognizes this, but David also has the courage to say, like, this, this is my fault, God. I've sinned against you. I need your mercy, your grace. I need it all to get to, get to the next point then we must also recognize that when we do sin, that when we, we, when we sin, it is against God. God then has the right to take out a just, a just punishment on us. But does He? He doesn't. So that's in verses, I'm, I think it's in verses 4 or 5, where He talks about that. He talks about that He knows that what He's done is against God. I'll read it for you real quick. For I'm conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned. And done this evil in your sight. So you're right when you pass sentence. You're blameless when you judge. As that was verses 3 and 4. But the key here is verse 4. 
And again, this is a this is a key that that David is looking into, looking looking at us now, as we're as we said, we're all sinners, and looking to the future, looking to when Christ will come and Christ will save. So as he says this, he recognizes that what he did deserves for him. He sh- he, he should die. I mean, at the end of this time, they would they would they would kill him for something like this. But the thing is, is that he's the king, and. He's, he's leading his people in an unholy, faithful way. And what he's done reflects his kingdom. And he recognizes that. David recognizes that, man, I'm supposed to be the leader. I'm supposed to be in charge. And I've just done this. He recognizes, which is a key sense to what we need to recognize about our sins. We need to recognize that our sins not only had to be owned up to, but we don't, we don't deserve to move. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve, we don't deserve anything for our sins. Basically, basically, there's one way I've always looked, not really always looked at sins, but one way I kind of think of sins. And so basically, like, you have, you have like, the law. You have, you have like, like, the, like, like, earthly law, like police and stuff. And when you look at that stuff, when you break a law, you then get arrested or go to jail. But the thing is, is, when we look at spiritual, spiritual law, like what, what our sins should not be, what our sins, or what our sins, like people in this day would have lived towards the law. They would have lived to not break the law. So we need to, we need, even though that we do need to live to bre- not break the law, we, didn't, we need to know that when we break the law, that we then have a Savior. And that even though we have broken the law at this time, when there was no Christ in this point, that even though that they had done it, they know that their faith is in God and that God forgives them. And that's something important for us to realize today because it's really easy, especially in the culture that we live in, that we can look at our sin and be like, well, I've done this and no one, no one loves me anymore. You know, no one wants to see me. No one wants to talk to me because I did this, you know, kind of thing. The thing is, is that we've been forgiven. And it's so easy, so, so easy to just pray for forgiveness. But even though God grants us forgiveness, how sorry are we really about the sin we're committing? That's what the act of repentance is. The act of repentance is us owning up, saying, bringing it before God, saying, God, I've done this, and not just saying, God, forgive me, and never saying what you've done. And then we go on in verse 5 to see that we see that when we are born sinful from the fall and that we thus have a sinful nature when we are conceived. So basically this gives a live look into Genesis 1 when Adam and Eve fell, when they fell in the garden. And what they did there was they ate the apple. If you're not familiar with the story, they ate the apple, they ate the forbidden fruit, and then God punished them for it. So what, what, what is said then that we, when we are first conceived, we are then sinful. We're born sinful. We, we don't just choose to sin. Our, our whole nature is to sin. That's something, something also very important I feel like we need to realize. Is that, that you, like you, don't, you, can, you can try not to sin, but it's eventually going to happen. You can try your hardest to be perfect, but I promise you it's not going to last longer than maybe, maybe 20 minutes. You're going to do something that you, that you know that is that's something that's just not, not right. Not righteous. But then also, this is, all, this is another key fact that I'm going to sit here for just a second. 
and a fact that I think that's going to be important for some of us to think about, especially with the, the, with, the, with the culture, again, around us, is that when it talks about conceived, this is, this is, this is a verse used to, to, to help fight some, some types of, to fight against abortion. This verse right here talks about, talks about how when we, when we see this, that when we are first conceived, then we are a person because we have a sinful nature. And in the Bible, we're considered a person when we have a sinful nature. So this is all, and that's just something I feel like it's important to point out. Some important that I feel like it can help, help, help not only today as we fight against issues like that, but um, just, just something I didn't want to stay along. I just wanted to point it out for you guys. But then again, we go back to verse four, and even though we are sinful, we're we're forgiven. The, the grace, the, the gift of grace. We are forgiven for what we have done. David is forgiven for what he has done. Now we're going to move on to verses 6 through 13. We're going to spend a lot of our time at. So, and this, 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 the key word here is going to be hope. So, basically we're walking, I'm kind of just walking through what I feel like David's main, main points are through the whole thing. And uh, we got, and this one's hope. Before we get there, I, I do want to tell a little story here. So, a little something I always thought of when I, when, I was, when I was studying for this. A little something I came up with, or not really came up with, but just thought about when I was thinking about the, the gift like mercy, what, what mercy and repentance is. So, how, how many people have seen the movie Sandlot? A lot of people? Okay. And we know squints, right? Little, little geek kid has glasses like mine. <laughs> yeah, so we got squints here. And... Uh, He's in love with Wendy Peppercorn. Everybody, everybody, seen knows Wendy Peppercorn, right? The lifeguard. Okay, so in this, and they're all like in elementary school. She's a high schooler, you know. So we're sitting there thinking, and I always remember the part of the movie when he just, when he just like jumps off the diving board and he can't swim. I'm like, I'm like, come on, well, you better show me, you better show me a kid die right here. And just like, <laughs> what I'm thinking. But and he's like, and then then he, she jumps in there, saves him. Then he, then then he comes out. You know, she's trying to do CPR and bring him back to life. Then he just kisses her right in the mouth. I'm like, I'm like, what is this? Like, what is going on? Maybe mostly because when I first watched it, I was probably eight years old, and I'm like, ooh, girls have cooties. But, but um, <laughs> as we look at it that way, then, then later on in the movie, you see that they end up getting married and blah, 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 have all these kids. Well, after thinking about that, it's, it not, it's a sign of forgiveness and mercy. You know, because like, if I was, I mean, she forgave him for kissing him out one day, even though she probably knew it was a joke. But as, as in the movie, in the movie, it, it's portraying that she forgave him for that. And that, and, that she gave, and that she gave him her gift of marriage to him kind of thing. Which, in a sense, in a sense, kind of, is kind of not really, not exactly, not, not even close to what happens, what God does for us. But it's just a simple act of like that, like that, that God gives us to abundantly. As we look at it that way, we see that, that God loves us. God loves, God wants our heart. He strives to know our heart. He knows our hearts. He strives to have our hearts. And now we're going to go on to verse 6 to 13 where it talks about hope. And then the, what this whole, these whole eight, nine verses is, is that we must seek to find God's presence. We must seek to know Him. We must seek to find Him. So, well, I think a key point here that's going to be is going to be in verse seven, I think, where it talks about hyssop, which I'm sure like no one knows what hyssop is. So if you do, yeah, I might let you talk for a second. But <laughs> but what hyssop is? 
Hyssop is basically like a branch. It was a plant during the time that they used to cleanse. So basically it had like little fur, like hairs on it, something like that. I don't know what it, hair, fur, whatever you want to call it. And they would just run it over the people's skins. And it would either be to like, they believed it would either clean people's disease, clean off them, like just dirt maybe, or just like spiritual cleansing. I'm not real positive which one it meant, but I would assume it meant all three. And when we look at that, we also see that, it's, that, that, that he's cleansed. But the word that David uses is, is purify. And I think there's a, there's a complete difference between the word purify and cleanse. So basically when we talk about cleanse, it means like, oh, it means I'm just going to wash stuff off me. I'm going to make sure I'm not dirty. When we think about purify, as it says, my, my, my soul is made white as snow. I am then clean. I am then pure. I, I can then be seen as, a, as like I can be bright. Because when we think of something pure, we know, I, I don't even I know what we think of something pure, but when, when, we think, when, when we do see something that we think is pure, we just, we're, we're in awe of it. We're in awe of what of that thing is beautiful. And when we look at that and we see that, we want to we know how it became pure. We want to know how did this become pure? How did it get here? Well, David is, David is starting to show us the steps that lead up to how we become pure. As I said, David here is a, David is a, is a, devout, a devout follower of God at this point in time as he was leading Israel for him. But in verse 7, we also see a sneak peek into how to become justified, the doctrine of justification. And what that basically means is that God gave us his righteousness, and we're then just in God's sight, even though we don't deserve it. So, that's just a, like I said, this is a big fancy word for just. We are, we are then made right. And as we are made right... We then get his righteousness, and his righteousness coats us, it follows us, it is in us. And with this righteousness also comes the, the sin, like guilt. Guilt comes with this. And this is also a point where David becomes guilty of his sin. He starts to, as he said, and I said in verses 3 through 5, he repented, he owned up. He's getting ready to start to own up. He's getting ready to, to say what these sins are. Which is a reason, like I said this morning, is that... Uh, that I, re- I really, really love the program that Andrew and you guys are doing here at Celebrate Recovery. Uh, Celebrate Recovery, it's, it's a great way, a great way for this to happen because it can be really hard. It can be really hard to come to people, even in a, even in a setting like this, and, and, and come in and say that you've done this. Yeah, I've done this. I've done this for a long time. But that's what, what Celebrate Recovery teaches. It teaches us how to repent of our sins and how to grow in sanctification towards away from those sins. And it also helps us see God's righteousness. So as we look at as we look at that ministry in this church, it's a ministry right now that we are being taught that or you you all are being taught that that's God's righteousness. And his righteousness only can cover all of those things that you've done. His grace covers all of those things. I just want to make that known, even if you don't come to that program, and you're here this morning, and you have a sin like that that you just don't even know, that you don't even know how to express it, that that sin is covered in God's grace when you are found in Him. And then we're going to go on down to verses 8 or 9, I think. I'm not really positive. But it talks about, it says the word hide in me, or hide from me or something like that. Let me find it, and we'll say it. It's even in this version. 
That's in the other one. But it says, turn your face in this one. And basically what the, what the term hide, 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 like he would turn away. People were, he was scared at this time that, that God would just turn his face from him after he saw what, so what happened to Saul before him as, he, as God just kind of like took away the kingdom. Well, David's scared. David is, David is he's, just, he's in fear of what should happen, of what could happen to him, what, how he might go on from this. So he, he says, God, please don't leave me. Please do not run from me. God, please, don't, don't, please just don't take yourself away from me. As he goes on, he says, please don't take away your Holy Spirit, which is in the same sense of saying, God, please don't take away what you've given me. Don't take away my breath of life, my regenerate heart. Don't take that away, please. And, and the good news for David is, is that he won't. But what, he, but what, but what David was trying, but what David was scared of is that if God turned his back to him, he would then fall out. He would then, his kingdom would just drop. It'd be done. And David recognizes this. Which is also going to bring me to another point that I feel like we need to understand today as we see and we work together as a, as a, as a body. That we should be scared of our sins. Our sins can be so easy to just be like, oh yeah, I do this, you know, I've done this. But we should be scared of what it brings. Our sin does not, our sin does not automatically bring forgiveness unless you're found in Christ. If you're not found in Christ and you sin, your sin is just going to keep on bringing you, bringing you down, bringing you down, bringing you down to the point where you're just broken. You're on your knees and have nothing. And that's when we, that's when we look at our sin as nothing. When we look at our sin as it's cool, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm all right, I'll power through. But when we look at, when we view our sin as we should, and be in fear of our sin, be in fear of sinning against God, our Creator. He created us, and, he's, and we're sinning against Him. It's kind of like, like when your dad told you to go clean your room, and you're just kidding, you don't want to do it. I mean, if he, if he got mad, you mean you'd definitely be scared. But... What we, need to, what we need to see here is that our sin's a lot more, is a lot more than us cleaning our room or doing something your dad might have told you to do whenever. Our sin is a defilement against the purity of God. We are sinning against a pure creator. And what we need to realize is, and this is, this is, this is to say that in Christ, we then have grace. We are then forgiven because that grace was put on us when Christ died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, and you were then found in him, even though you may sin, you need to repent and get and say, God, I'm sorry of what I've done. And God, I don't want to do it anymore. A key sense of fear. You don't want to do that anymore. And then we're going to go on down to verse 10. And in verse 10, it says this. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So what, what this is talking about here is David is asking for forgiveness. David is saying, God, cleanse my heart. Make me pure again. Cleanse it, forgive me, 
make, make me feel better about this. But I think a big key here is that he says renew a steadfast spirit, which is also what happens when we sin. When we sin, we lose the steadfast love we have for God. Well, we're not, we don't want to lose it, but we lose that striving we had to be like Christ. Because we choose to sin. Like I said before, our sinful nature is what, is what causes us to sin. And yeah, we can fight it. But in the long run, with our sinful nature, even though we are found in Christ, we choose to defile Him. We choose to lie. We choose to maybe steal something. We choose to do all those things. We choose to not be good stewards of our time, which I'm a, I'm a key component of. And something that just, just eats, eats me alive is to think that my fear, not, not just for you guys, for me personally, is that I should be in fear of my sin. But the thing is, is it's so easy to not be. But, what, but as David says this, he's saying, renew the steadfast love I have for you. Renew the steadfast spirit. Love I have for you. And then he goes on. And we're gonna, it says, What does it mean when said you can lose the spirit? And like I said before, it just talks about he was scared he was going to pull away from him. He was scared that, that God was going to take what he had. Take away his kingdom, take away his kingship. Then in verse 12, we're going to read verse 12 again. Restore the joy of, the joy of your salvation to me. And give me a willing spirit. Now right here, I think is where this whole thing's about to turn around. We're about to go from, I'm sorry, God forgive me, to now I want to go back and share what the answer to this hope is. So, as, as, David, is, as David is writing this, he's saying, restore the joy of, of your salvation. He's saying, God, I sinned against you, and what I was doing was a, was a, was some, was a pleasure of the flesh. I, I wasn't striving to have the, the fruits of the Spirit. I wasn't striving to be like you. I wasn't striving to become sanctified. And he's saying, just bring back that joy I have when I'm found in you. Bring back to what I have. Bring back to what I was and show me that, I, show me that I, I'm, I'm in love with you. But then he says, and give me a willing spirit. And that's the key, that's the key phrase I feel like is where this whole thing turns around to the answer. We're going, to talk about, we're going to talk about that he wants the willing spirit to share with them what the hope in Christ is, what the hope of God was in the time. And when we talk about that, it goes on into, into verse 13 and says, Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. That was almost bad. But when he's saying this, he's saying... God, there's plenty of people like me. There's plenty of people like me that have ran away from the faith, not, that have ran away and just done sin, sin, or even ran away from the faith, you know, just, just left, left, left God in the, in the back burner just waiting. Just I'll come back to him when I need him. And what David is saying here is he's saying that if you restore this joy of my salvation that I have, I will then run and share the good news that you've given me to the people. That are, that are like that. And as, as he writes it, and sinners will return to you. Sinners will come back. 
we will come back to know that the faith, our faith, is in God and God alone. And that no matter what we do, no matter how many sins we commit in a day, no matter how many, how many lies we tell in a day, that God is there. God is going to forgive you. God is going to love you. And that God's grace forgives all of it. Now we're going to go into verses 14 through 17. Where we're going to talk about, as it says, the answer. And uh, basically what, what, how, how David starts this off, is he starts it off with saying, Forgive me of the act of murder I just committed. As it says, as it reads, Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. Forgive me of that sin. And David, David is speaking of a sin, again, acknowledging that God saved him. So what God, so what, what's, what's David doing here? David is saying that, God, you are the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness, as it says in verse 14. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. So like I said, in verse 14, we're talking about David saying, I killed this man, God, I'm sorry. Restore your salvation. Give me that back. Give me the joy of that salvation back. And then, I will sing of your righteousness. I will go there forth and tell the nations. As, as it says in Matthew, we are, we are called the disciples to make other disciples. As in, it's, it's really easy to, think, to confuse this, but like everybody might think there's only 12 disciples. I can't be a disciple. There's only 12 of them. There's 12 apostles. We're all called to be disciples. And uh, this, is, this, is a key, this is key here, and especially to what David is trying to say and trying to portray to us in this time, is that, yeah, yeah it's really, really easy to sin. But don't forget about your calling. Don't forget about why you're here. Yeah, you might not be in the same position I am, going to a Bible college to become, um, become to go into ministry. No, you might not be in that situation. But we are all called to do it. We're all called to fulfill the Great Commission and to reach out to the world, to reach out to the nations. If that's if that's Breckenridge County, if that's Hancock County, if that's Grayson County, or if that's even in Africa. If, if we are all called to do it, and then I'm going to bring, I'm going to tie that into what this summer I want to do, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to need your guys' help with it. Is that I want this church to help serve me in fulfilling the Great Commission, and not just this church. I want the whole association, but this church being one. I want this church to help me fulfill that great, the calling of our Great Commission. We are, go, we are to go there for and make disciples. And if that's just, if that's just coming out to maybe, maybe pick something up, if that's coming out to just sit down and talk to somebody for hours and hours upon end, I don't care if I see you again that night, as, lo- as long as you are me- going there for and making disciples. That's what David's saying. David is saying that I'm going to share your righteousness. The righteousness you just gave me for those sins I committed, I'm going to share of it. I'm going to make known what happened to me. I'm going to let know that the God of my salvation just saved me and cleansed me 
and forgave me for stuff I don't deserve to be forgiven for. And then in verse 15, we see again, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. I, I just want to sit here and just, think, and just maul on that for a second. Not only is it called to be, to be made, are we not called to be, or not only are we called to be disciples, we're also called to worship. We are called day in and day out. If it's in your bedroom, and your, at your house, in your living room, wherever it is, your workplace, we are called to worship. And make known that our love for God and our hearts are purified and we are becoming sanctified in Christ. We are becoming holy. We are going to strive to be like Christ. And one of my professors says something really neat. And uh, he talks about it pretty, every Thursday I have him. We always sing hymns. We sing hymns every, every Thursday. So there's a theology three class. So we sit there and we sing. And what he tells us is that for us to really recognize the doctrines of what God has given us, the doctrines of grace, the doctrines of salvation, the doctrines of justification, we have to be able to sing and worship Him first. We, and that we have to be able to praise Him before we can make disciples. We have to be able to pray to Him before we can make disciples. And like just, just that thought there is so key to how we do, to how we can become, how you, how you guys can become a church striving for the Great Commission. Is that first we have to learn to worship. In verses, uh, and then in verse sixteen, he in, he in seventeen he talks about you do not want to sacrifice, or I would give it. So in this time, if you're familiar, if you're not familiar with the history, that to give to, to to praise God, they would give sacrifices to God. Either that'd be like a lamb or something, some animal. They would they would just they would sacrifice him to God. And as it goes on, it says you don't want to burn offering, which is what they do. They burn it, or they kill it either or. But um, God doesn't want that. God God doesn't. Yeah, that was a sign of them praising God, but God doesn't want that. God wants our broken hearts. God wants us to give ourselves to Him. He wants us to notice what He's done, what He did in creating the universe, the world, us. He wants to recognize that He created us and that we must worship our Creator, the holy, pure God. As we recognize that, we will then, then we will learn how to worship. Then we will learn how to fear our sin. Then we will learn how to make disciples. And then as it goes on, he says in verse 17, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. I also want to stay right here for just a little bit, just thinking about what that means. It means that we can't be stuck up. We can't be, 
we can't be stuck up that we, that we can do it on ourselves. Because I've been there. I've been there plenty of times. Thinking that I could fix something on my own. Something that, yeah, it's not, I'm not talking about something small. Like, you'll fix, you'll fix your door. I'm talking about spiritual, deathly sins. Sins that despise God. Sins that, with our spirit, defile the Holy Spirit. And trust me, I've been there. It's, it's so easy to put up a wall like this right here and don't let anything come through. Like, no, God, I don't need your help. I can do this on my own. Don't, don't worry about it. I'll get there eventually. When the key here is to be broken. To want God to help you. To desire the help from God is what we need. That is how we receive the mercy. And it's so easy for non-believers and for even believers to put up this wall and not let anything come through. But when you don't let, if you're a believer and you don't let God break through that wall, your spirit is not broken for Him. Your spirit is about you. And that's what exactly what David is trying to say, say here. And as it reads in the second part of verse 17, God, you will not despise a humbled heart. Such a beautiful picture, isn't it? That if we live for ourselves, it's, 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 it's over. But if we humble ourselves to the point where we are praising and worshiping the Creator, that those problems will be gone. God will then help us. God will then move with us. He will walk with us day by day, growing more like Him. And it's also a good tie-in David has here for the, for this, for the last part I'm going to talk about here today. That's share. Something very, very, very hard to do. And I recognize that. It's hard. It's hard to share. It's, it's hard to go out anywhere and say, hey, do you know about Jesus? Do you know, do you know, do you know that you have a Savior? It's hard. But something I want to be made known this, I know I'm tying it back into this summer, but right now I'm, I'm, I'm tying this into your own personal life. What we need to realize is that gospel relationships are key to making relationships like that. We must first make friends in the church or in other churches and worship with them. We must try to be like them. We grow together daily towards God. And then once that relationship is there, once that gospel relationship, we're talking about, talking about these different, like talking about God's grace in your own life. 
talking about what God's done in your life this week, talking about what, what God's done for your family this month, how God's provided. Once that relationship is there, as it is, and as I can tell in this church, in the small groups that are built here, then we can go forth and make disciples. Because then we are then equipped. We have then learned how to worship, how to pray together, and how, how to reach people. Because what the key to, 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 getting, to getting people to know Christ is, is making relationships. It's that easy. Is you just got to get to know people. And then once someone gets comfortable enough with you, then you can pour out. Then it's going to be easy enough to pour out your heart to them and they will listen. But it's so easy to be the man that, or the, the man or the woman that just jumps right at it. I'm not saying don't do that. If you're doing it, that's awesome. I'm just saying that this summer, I want this summer for you guys, if you're there, for me to be built off the relationships that I'm going to make towards furthering the kingdom of God. And I want that to be glorious. But now just talking about here in the church, like what, how does this apply to what happens in the church? Well, he, he writes in verse 18, In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. What Zion is in this picture is the church. It's not only, not only, the, not only the worldly church, all believers is one, but it's Corinth Baptist Church, Lewisport Baptist Church. All the Baptist churches in this area, the association. It's causing individual churches to prosper. He wants them to preach the good news, preach the gospel, and to get to know who God is. And as we learn together, we then grow together. We then build gospel relationships with people we might not ever thought we'd talk to two years ago. And something that can be really easy, really, really easy, is to leave a person out. To leave someone out in the corner because they're, they, that, that, I just don't feel like talking to them, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk to them about, you know, I, they'll judge me, you know. That's a wall. A wall that you need to break down and a wall that you need to, to let the cross pummel through because each and every one of our sins are no different than the other. They've all been paid for by that thing right there. They all have been paid for on that cross. And I'm, I'm going to tell you another story here about the same professor who told us this. I was taking a, a J-term in early January when it was down in like freezing temperatures. Everybody remember that? Whenever that was. I don't remember when it was. But he told us a story about a family that had been attending his church and they lived a couple blocks away. But they couldn't afford to pay a bill to heat their home. They couldn't afford, they had, they had, a, they had, they had a two-month-old baby at the time. They couldn't afford to heat their home. And guys, that's how we show mercy. That's how we show the gospel. We live it out in ways like that. We help people like that. We bring people like that into our own lives so that we can worship with them. 
It's so easy, so, so easy to go to, to the dude down the street that you feel comfortable talking to. Might be your neighbor, might be a couple guys down. But man, there's such a need for people to reach out. Because in today's culture, if you don't have this much money, if you don't have this much to do, you're not getting talked to. People don't want to be with you. But we're, as a church, as a church body, we are called to love others. Make disciples. And I just said that to make disciples, we must build relationships. And I'm not saying, go, don't, don't go talk. You need, you need to talk to that dude just down the, down the street as you do need to talk to the people that are, down, that are on the other end. But guys, don't let, it, don't let it fold one way. Don't let it go more towards that guy. Don't let it go more towards that guy. Put it right in the middle. And share your love, your family, your family life. You share it with both of them. And make them feel like they can come to you about anything. Because once that relationship is there, we can then show them who God is, what the gospel is. And I know I really haven't pointed out what some people might be like, well, what is the gospel, Ethan? Like, what is that? I'm like, well, I don't know. I've heard it said here a couple times. I've been here a couple weeks, but I don't know what it, I just haven't really understood it. I'm going to put it in three short little sentences. Okay? First, God gave his perfect son with the purpose of dying, with the purpose of being a sacrifice for us. He knew he created him as perfect because he's fully man, yet fully God, because if he wasn't either of those, we couldn't be saved. But the second statement, he died on the cross for our sins, making known his name and making known why he was here. So God gave his perfect son. He then died on the cross for us. And then third, he was resurrected. He rose from the grave as we celebrated last Sunday. He rose from the grave and defeated death so that then our hearts could be made eternal and then we could have eternal life. So the gospel is three things. God gave his only son, perfect son, to die on the cross for us so that we may be righteous in his sight. So that when he, when he rose last Sunday, three days after his death, that we could, we could worship him. And guys, I just want to leave you here with an illustration a real, a real quick picture of what, of something that I also want to be the take home. When uh, now it's, it's coming into spring, it's, it's a beautiful time, beautiful day. You know, I'm trying to get y'all out here so I can go out there just as much as you want to. But when we look at it, we think now, now we're starting to see butterflies fly around. We're starting to see beautiful butterflies that people are like, oh, they can't hurt a fly which they can't. But a butterfly starts out as, as a caterpillar. As a caterpillar goes on, he grows. First off, the caterpillar is us as we are going 
through, as, we're, as we're trying to go through life on our own. We're trying to just climb up different troubles we have, thinking we can do it on our own. But that's also why a caterpillar has to cocoon to become a butterfly, because it's helpless. It can't do anything. And when we are in the state, is when we are that caterpillar, when we are just trying to do it on our own. God then reveals to us, as the, butter, as, the, as the caterpillar goes to cocoon, he reveals to us that then we start to, that it's, it's then starting to be made pure and holy and beautiful. I'm not saying a butterfly is holy, but it's just talking about life. <laughs> that when we get into that cocoon, we then are hearing the gospel. We're starting, we're, we are broken, we are at that point where we're broken and we don't know what to do. So the only way we can turn is to maybe that friend down the road or maybe just turn straight to God. See, maybe you've heard it and just pray. Say, God, I'm broken, I need you. That's when we're in the cocoon. We're starting to develop. Starting to develop and realize what all these different doctrines of grace and justification, all these stuff is. We're, we're learning what, how to become justified, what righteousness means, and how we gain this, right, this grace and forgiveness. And then, finally, we break out of that cocoon just like a, just like a caterpillar and becomes a beautiful butterfly. We then, once we are found in Christ and know what the gospel is, and once we get over those times of struggle, struggle and troubles, We're then made pure and holy when we are found in Christ. And uh, just for the take home today, it's a real short thing if you want to write it down. We must be found in God's mercy. I'll say it again. We must be found in God's mercy. That's what the whole key here is today. Psalm 51 is not just trying to tell us a story about how David committed all these sins. The story to show us a song to show us that God's mercy trumps all things. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for this time that we've been able to share this morning. And I thank you for just being, being you, God, Show, giving us your grace, giving us all that you have. And I just pray right now that if, a, if, any, if any seeds have been planted in this room, if any hearts have been touched, that you will give them the, the power and the will to not be scared of what people are going to think. Because hopefully the people in this room, they're not going to judge them. They, they're going to celebrate with them. God, just make known that your love trumps all. And that if a heart is moved in this room, that you will love them no matter what. God, I thank you for what you've done. God, I thank you for this time. And God, once again, I want to thank you for your grace. Just now I pray. Amen.